Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Hamdan Kathiran, Tayyiban, Mubarakan Fee, Mubarakan Ali, Kama Yuhibu Rabbuna, Wayarda, Jalla Jalaluhu, Ammanawal, was Salatu was Salamu Allah, Sayyidil Habibil Mustafa, Sallallahu Ta'ala, Alehi Wala, Alihi, Wasahbihi, Wabaraka, Wasalama, Tasliman, Kathiran, Ila Yomidin, Amma Bad. Call Allah Ta'ala, Call Allah Ta'ala, Tilka Rusulu Faddalna, Bardahum Allah, Bard. منهم من كلم الله ورفع بعضهم درجات وآتينا عيسى بن مريم البينات وأيدناه بروح القدس ولو شاء الله ما قتتل الذين من بعدهم من بعد ما جاءتهم البينات ولكن اختلفوا ولكن اختلفوا فمنهم من آمن ومنهم من كفر ولو شاء الله ما قتتلوا ولكن الله يفعل ما يريد. So today is the third juz, the third subara that we're looking at. And mashallah, as every juz is, this one is very rich with many, many, uh, much content. And of course, in the small time, in the bit of time that we have, we don't, uh, we can't cover all of it. But uh, we will be looking at some of the most important aspects that I that stand out for me. So the first thing is the Ayatul Kursi. So this is part of Suratul Baqarah. The Suratul Baqarah will end in this Jews of the Quran, and we have Ayatul Kursi here. The Ayatul Kursi is one of the most profound verses of the Quran because it speaks about Allah. This is Allah's speech. The whole Quran is Allah's speech, and the Ayatul Kursi is the one that gives us a, an understanding of who Allah is. Allah in this verse tells us who He is. He gives us an understanding so that we can better understand who Allah is. So Allah, there is no God except He. He is the living one and He is the self-subsisting one. He doesn't need anybody else. He neither, no, no sleep, no slumber overtakes Him. And for Him is everything in the heavens and the earth. And then regarding the Day of Judgment, it says that who is it that can intercede except with His permission? He knows everything. He knows what's before you, what's after you, what's in front of you, what's behind you. And nothing can encompass his knowledge. Nobody can have the knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has. Allah has all knowledge. We have partial knowledge. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us bits of knowledge that we know. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's kursi, his throne, it encompasses the heavens and the earth. And the heavens and the earth, Looking after them is not an easy task if from a human perspective. It, it's impossible from a human perspective. But Allah looks after every aspect, every iota, every atom from the heavens and the earth at one time. And nothing ever goes amiss. Nothing is beyond His capability and His capacity. He is aware of every leaf that falls. And He knows every seed in the world and seeds are amazing you know when you see these seeds and on youtube you can actually see seeds and how they germinate over a month or two because they've put them in a on the edge of a glass case a glass pot and they show how from a little seed it knows exactly what kind of plant it's to become and two seeds might look alike or similar and yet they become two totally different things that programming is an amazing that is for me one of the most amazing phenomena that you can observe. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is most high and most mighty. Thereafter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes the declaration. He says that there is no la ikraha fi deen. This is, you'll see that in verses, uh, verse 256, there is no compulsion in religion. What this means is that what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues says, قَدْ تَبَيَّنَ الرُّشْتُ مِنَ الْغَيْءِ Guidance has been made very clear. Tabayyun comes from the concept of bayan. Bayan means clarity, cl- clearness, like absolute clarity, where things are very distinct. So, قَدْ تَبَيَّنَ الرُّشْتُ مِنَ الْغَيْءِ Rushd is guidance and غَيْءِ is deviance. So, guidance has been made very distinct from deviance. And then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues, says that whoever believes in Allah, he's held on to the proper al-urwatul wuthqa, the firm hold, the firm handle. And that means that anybody who does, then they're onto something that is going to be of benefit for them in this world and hereafter. We are extremely fortunate that we have taken this path and we are sitting here today in this month of Ramadan observing it for this purpose. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Ya Allah, Ya Allah, be witness to us being in the masjid at this Asr time, on this day of Ramadan. And may, allow, may, may you allow this to be of some benefit for us in the hereafter, where we are discussing your Quran and your words. Subhanallah, what a tawfiq, what an enablement, where so many other people are doing many other things maybe at this time. And Allah has allowed us to be here. This is an amazing something to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for. So now, the... Nobody is compelled to come into religion. The Prophet ﷺ never forced religion onto anybody else. And that's why we should not do that as well, because you don't always get a good reaction with that. When you force people into religion, and religion was never forced onto people anyway. We did definitely win battles, and we did put down enemies, and we did uh, provide a defense, and put up a defense with the sword, as they say. But conversion was always, it had to be. And that's very distinctively clear from all the Islamic histories that you'll read, that conversion had to be. That's why we have a whole system in Islam that non-Muslims can actually remain within an Islamic system. And all they do is instead of paying zakat, as Muslims would do 2.5% of your tax, they, they just have to pay a jizya. And a jizya is actually not much. For the wealthy, it's, if I remember correctly, according to the Hanafi school, it's 48 dirhams. For the middle class, it's 24. And for the lower class, it's 12 dirhams. 10 dirhams, 12 dirhams is not even 10 pounds. It's not much money. It's a protection tax. So you can remain, you can remain non-Muslim. You can uh, follow your faith. You can have your courts. You can have your own systems, your own imams, etc. And this has been observed. That's why there's no force in religion. Yes. A lot of people misunderstand this. They take the faith, or they are part of the faith, but they don't observe and they say, how can you tell me to do something of the faith? La ikraha fiddin, there's no compulsion in religion. That's a misunderstanding of this verse. This is about entering the faith. Once you enter into the faith, then we have many other verses. Right? Ya ayyuhalladheena amadu khulu fissilmi kafa. O people who believe, enter into Islam wholly. That's a command. So once you've taken Islam, you've got a choice to take. You enter, then you need to take it wholesale because Islam is totalizing. Islam is not a partial religion for one day of the week or two days of the week or that relates just to how you worship God and show your devotion. It is totalizing in every aspect in terms of behavior, in terms of character, in terms of agreements with others, in terms of interactions with one another. 
Islam has to be totalizing and that's when Islam is at its best. A partial following of Islam is partial following. There's no the fulfillment that a person has when they fully submit to Allah because Allah has made us for submission. We are servants and slaves. That's who we are. We're created by Allah. Allah has made us to submit. So when we do that, we are at our natural. That's our natural position. And that's when everything falls into place as Allah wants it to be. And all that promise, all that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises of hayatan hayatan tayyiba, we're going to give you the life, an, an excellent, a pleasant life. That's what happens when you fully submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you want one foot here, one foot there, then that encroaches because the heart is not fully for Allah. Allah's mercy and His comfort will only come into our heart and infuse it and thus infuse our entire body when we're able to give our heart fully to Allah. Make that Allah, make that easy. There's a lot of distractions in the world. Thereafter that, what's really interesting here, and if we had the time, we would have gone into the stories in detail. There's three or four stories that are mentioned here regarding truth and falsehood and the supremacy of truth and goodness over evil. So the first story is about Ibrahim salam and his debate with the tyrant ruler of his time and um, who called himself God. He used to call himself God, Nimrod, Namrud. He used to call himself God. So Ibrahim said, my Lord, the one I follow is the one who gives life and death. So he, this guy said, I also give life and death. And again, you have these partial abilities that provide a misunderstanding or a complete delusion rather. So he gets somebody and kills him. An innocent guy kills him and there's somebody who's supposed to be in prison, maybe got a death sentence and he frees him. He says, look, I do the same thing. Now Ibrahim then gives him another argument. He says, well, my Lord brings the sun from the east to the west. Now this is where you bring it from. You bring it from the west, from its place of setting. He couldn't do that. That's where he was confounded. And uh, so that story is mentioned. Then there's another story mentioned about uh, going to a place that's totally, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts somebody as, to a sleep. And there's, there's a number of discussions that I, it's just going to take too long to go into all of those stories, although they're very nice stories. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put him to sleep for a hundred years, then he put him up. And then he says, how long were you asleep for? So he said, I was only asleep for maybe a day. It was a long sleep, so maybe I was asleep for a day. I mean, it did feel like a day, or maybe part of a day. Can you imagine? That's what it felt like. And yet he'd been sleeping for a hundred. Everything had changed outside. Because in a hundred years, things change. Look at what's happened to the UK in 60 years. Right? The earliest Muslims started settling here from the late 1950s. And look at the place. Just look at Hackney, where it used to be. It's totally gentrified now. Right? People are moving out. 60 years, 50 years, 60 years, world change. SubhanAllah. May Allah make the next 50, 60, 100 years good for us. Right? May not make it. I mean, look at what the people in Ukraine are going through and various other places. Um, how people have gone through in the other parts of what is now Ukraine. That southern, the southern part where there were Muslim Tatars that were evicted by the Russians, you know, over 100 years ago or something like that. SubhanAllah. May Allah give us goodness. May Allah give us afiyat. So then after that, there's the story of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Ibrahim alayhi salam asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, look, 
my yaqeen is full, my certainty is complete. But he didn't say that. But that's I'm just I'm just speaking on his behalf. He asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, I just want to see how you will bring back the dead. How you'll bring the dead back to life. I really need to see that. Right? That's not the way he said it, okay? I'm just paraphrasing. Right? Imagine it, like I really want to see that. Allah says, don't you believe affectionately? Like, don't you believe? Of course, he knows he believes. I mean, he's passed with flying colors, all of these tests that have been put on him, and so on. He says, no, I just want further conviction, further certainty rather. You know, when you see something, you've heard of something, you believe in it, but then you want, you want to see it in action? That would be amazing to see it in action. You know, you, you, you believe in the Battle of Badr, the Battle of Uhud, you believe in Aisha radiallahu anha, in Umar radiallahu anhu, you know, they've made movies about him, but that's nothing compared to the reality. And we want to see the reality. So where are we going to watch the real movie? Maybe in Jannat. I don't know. When you go to paradise, I think you can watch a lot of movies if you want to. I, I really don't know whether you're going to feel like doing that or not. You're going to have a lot of time. Right? So I want to see the battle of Uhud. I want to see the battle of Badr. I want to see the life of Umar radiallahu an, Abu Bakr radiallahu an. I don't know. I guess we can hope for things. I mean... If we get there and we're distracted by everything else in paradise, alhamdulillah. But at least I think that's a good thing, that it gives us an understanding of our affinity to our great people. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him to get a few animals and cut them up, uh, uh, slaughter them, cut them up, mix their meat together, put them on four different piles. And then he says, now call on them. And subhanallah, they all came back and the meats rejoined with one another. And they, made, and they turned into the original animals that they were. And that was an amazing thing. Thereafter that, from verse 261, it starts a discussion of sadaqah. These are very, very prominent verses of sadaqah and good deeds. So um, I really think we need Ramadan is a month of uh, spending and generosity rather. I would say Ramadan, rather than spending, it's a, it's a month of generosity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts from Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is most generous in Ramadan. Look what he's done. He's opened the doors of paradise, closed the doors of hell, locked the shaitan up, <clears throat> multiplied the rewards of fard prayer 70 times and any nafal prayer to the reward of a fard and so on and so forth. And he's made it so easy that the distraction goes, the shaitan's locked up. So you get double capacity or triple capacity in a masjid and the masjid says, we need to build a bigger masjid. And then shaitan comes back out after Ramadan. And it doesn't stay the same. Right? So anyway, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala most generous. The Prophet was known to be extremely generous during the month of Ramadan. Very generous. That affects all of us. MashaAllah, even our women get so generous that they, with fasting they cook so many foods. The generosity is everywhere, mashallah. There is so much money that is given in the path of Allah in the month of Ramadan, like probably never, never, you know, never at any other time. It's an amazing time, subhanallah. So Allah says that the example, He provides a number of examples about spending in the path of Allah. That when you spend your wealth in the path of Allah, it's like a seed, right? That's your seed, like you, when you give a pound, if you give a thousand pounds, that's a thousand seeds or, or, or more, like just to give you an idea, it grows seven years of corn, you get seven from there, right? 
And in each one of these ears, there is a hundred seeds. That's 700 seeds. That's kind of average. You know when you put a corn seed in the ground? And then if you've ever seen a corn plant, it's these green shoots, they're covered, and then you have to uncover each of these ears, as they call them, right? And a, a cob, a corn on the cob comes out of it, right? That's what you know. That's what we know, because you hardly see that. And each one of them will have how much? How many of those small yellow Lego pieces do you get on a corn? They look like Lego pieces, isn't it? Small ones, right? Because they're all in the, cor in the corn. So you get each one of them, it says, has a hundred seeds like that, subhanAllah. And Allah then gives what, Allah says, Wallahu da'ifu liman yasha. Allah then multiplies as He wishes and Allah is expansive. And He's the all-knowing of what you do and how you do it. However, there's a threat to this. There's a problem. When somebody spends, the shaitan stops you from spending. And then if you spend, then shaitan tries another attack. So he says that, okay, if I've spent, then I need to remind the people I'm spending on. See, these relief organizations, they've only appeared today. This is a modern phenomenon before you gave it to the poor. Yes, you may have had some people who may have collected for certain purposes and taken it somewhere else, but otherwise, it's pretty local. That's why I, you know, Sadaqatul Fitr that we give at the end of Ramadan, right? Most people give it in the middle of Ramadan, right? Before the day of Eid. And the reason for it is that it's the purpose of it is to enrich, or not enrich, but at least give enough to the poor person on the day of Eid so they can also enjoy their Eid. That's the purpose of it. Now, you come to the masjid, you don't give it during Ramadan. You come to the masjid and then there's an announcement where you see that and then you try, let me give it before I, I do my salat. Where is it going to go to the poor? It's supposed to be for the poor on the day of Eid. That's the optimal idea. Yes, it can be given later, but the optimal idea is given to us. So try to give it earlier so that these organizations, because we don't, what happens in other societies and what used to happen, and I only observed this once, I think, in Zambia. So we're going on our way to the musalla, which means the place of prayer outside. Right in a massive field, the whole of Lusaka comes together, I think. Right, it's a big, big place. And as soon as you get closer, there are rows and rows of people begging. Right, they know this is going to be their day. Right, these are all the faqir, the fuqara, the, the destitutes. That's where you give your sadaqatul fitr. We hardly get that chance to do that today. So before giving the destitute, helping somebody you know, and you can see was the norm. Today, when's the last time that you helped somebody that you actually know, that you're aware of? Right? It's become, I mean, it's too difficult. People, it's like it's a burden to go and find the poor person. <laughs> I get so excited when I find a poor person because you can actually help them directly. I remember it was somebody's wedding and I said, and you know, when you invite poor people to a da'wah, to, a, to a, a food invitation, there's barakah. So I remember I asked in that wedding, it was somebody close to me, I said, is there any poor people? I just come back from America. I said, any poor people we can invite? They're like, what are you talking about? Like, what? that's kind of unheard of. What are you talking about? But to give a poor person directly has its own because you can then see. But then there's a problem with that. There, there could be a problem with that, which is, that if they're close to you, then you may start taking advantage of something like, I helped you out, I help you out. And there's people who do this, by the way. You know, a lot of people in the UK are originally hailed from other countries. So what they do is they feel an affinity to those people, so they actually spend there. But when they go back for a holiday, 
they expect favors from those guys. Like you're going to drive us around, you're going to do this for us, you're going to you know, run errands for us or whatever, and that's wrong. In fact, subhanAllah, there's people who go there, they do this, they get people to assist them and they're down there because they're poor, they expect something. That when a foreigner comes, when a guy from London comes, right, or, or wherever, they expect that they're going to get handouts and gifts. So they're willing to actually go out of their way to assist you and help you and do things for you. Because they expect something from you. And then what people do? They give them zakat. Okay, it's not wrong to give zakat to them, but they give it literally like a payment. Zakat needs to be given as an obligation. It's a good thing that there's somebody to even take it from us. You know, they're doing us a favor today and we actually make it like, I'll give you my, I've been giving you my zakat money. Man, it's my due. What's wrong with you? This is what Allah has made due for me. It's, you're, not, you're not doing me any favors. We give zakat, which is an obligation. It's actually a purification of our wealth. So we give that and we should thank the faqir that you are taking it from us because otherwise it's not easy. We should thank these relief organizations as well. But we need to give sadaqah as well. Right? Even when you give sadaqah, you're not allowed. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الَّذِينَ يُنْفِقُونَ أَمْوَالَهُمْ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ ثُمَّ لَا يُتْبِعُونَ مَا أَنْفَقُوا مَنَّوْ وَلَا أَذَا Those who spend their wealth in the path of Allah and then they don't follow that up. They don't follow up what they spend with reminders. Look what I've been doing for you. Every year without fail I've been giving you my zakat. I've been helping you for so many years. Or any other kind of harm. Traditionally, gifts were considered to be something to reciprocate. Uh, and this is an interesting idea. The reason you give a gift is to reciprocate love, affection, a bond, a connection. Or maybe that they've given you in the past so you give back. That's not sadaqah. That's a gift. You get reward for a gift. Sadaqah is for Allah only. So if sadaqah is supposed to be for Allah only, then you should not look back. You should not look back. Then whether the guy swears at you afterwards, I mean he shouldn't obviously, but if he curses you afterwards as well, well, my sadaqah is for Allah. I should not feel bad. If he was, obviously if he's mustahiq and entitled to it, then my, uh, my sadaqah is right. If he's a poor person, and that's fine, he might be a bit crazy, that's up to him. But I've helped him out and he was in need. Then after that, it doesn't matter. That's how it should be and may Allah make that easy for us. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the person who can't give materially, who doesn't have to give, they feel bad. And there were people who used to do this, they felt that they were in competition of doing the best that they could. And when they saw that the wealthy people, they could mashallah give sadaqah. And they couldn't give sadaqah, so they felt bad. So the Prophet sallallahu gave them tasbih the 33 times. 33, 33 and 34. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, after every prayer. Basically the tasbih of the poor. The rich guys, they figured this out. They started doing this as well. Well, you can't stop them. It's not, it's prohibited for it. Right? So then these poor people, they came to Prophet and they said, well, they're doing that as well now. He says, well, that's the fadl and grace of Allah. He gives to whomever he wishes. But the, uh, Allah is telling us, you can do qawlum ma'roof. You can say a good word to somebody. That's a sadaqah. Saying a good word to somebody, saying something nice to someone, that's a sadaqah. That's such incentive, isn't it? Because, you know, we think of giving money in the path of Allah as something big, as something really important, as something significant. That's why it's so difficult to give for most people. Now you say, you know, if you say a good word to somebody, that's a sadaqah as well. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. 
I'm going to start saying more good words to people. Right? It just incentivizes that. And uh, so Allah again says, O people who believe, do not destroy your charity by reminders and by following the harm. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives an example of the people who uh, do certain things and then when it comes to the day, they actually don't find any profit, just like for a person who's given all of this charity. And then in the hereafter, he gets nothing. He's like, I, I gave so much in charity. I used to give 30% of my wealth, but you gave it for the wrong reason. And then Allah gives examples for the person who gives it for the right reason. So there's a whole discussion of charity here. Whole discussion of charity here. Thereafter that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that what kind of thing you should spend. You should spend of that which is pure. So you've got some old clothes lying around. Okay, it's okay to give that so somebody else can use it. There's nothing wrong with that. But the idea is that, oh, this food is getting a bit stale. Let me give it away to somebody. Because I'm not going to enjoy it anymore. I like eating fresh. Now, if you wanted to give, don't give stale food. Don't give, وَلَا تَتَيَمُّمُ الْخَبِيثَ مِنْهُ Don't give that which is repugnant. That which is reprehensible. Because this is given to Allah. You must imagine that you're giving this to Allah. The poor person is representing our giving to Allah. So you want to give, imagine there's a, you know when, when there's a more noble kind of guest or a more noble kind of recipient of our gift and we give accordingly. There's some people we can get away giving a box of chocolates, Cadbury's. But there's some people I know, if you give them Cadbury's, they will not be happy. Their level is uh, above that, right? It's lint and, you know, uh, Godiva and Belgian. Belgian, but not every Belgian chocolate is good. You know, just certain Belgian chocolates are there's a, there's a level, right? So you have to try to pick the best for Allah. And that's why the next Jews, which we'll be doing tomorrow, that you can never gain righteousness and full piety until you spend of that which you love. Encouragement for us. May Allah make it easy. Thereafter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about these particular faqirs of how poor people should be. Just because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has really encouraged the giving, right? So now the poor person must go out and put himself out there that I am a poor person, so give me no. Allah praises, وَمَا تُنْفِقُوا مِنْ خَيْرٍ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ بِهِ عَلِيمٌ Verse 273, if you want to check it out. For the poor person who is constrained in the path of Allah, who can't travel, who, this is the point I want to make, ignorant, who the ignorant ones, the unaware ones, think that they're wealthy because of the way they abstain from asking, the way they withhold themselves, the way they carry themselves. That they're poor, they have nothing, but they carry themselves in a dignified manner. And if you can find a poor person like that, they're the best people to give. I've known a number of people, they go for Umrah or Hajj, and they've got money they want to give there. So they're not looking for those that are begging on the streets, and that come around begging. Uh, they either say they're from Kashmir, or they say they're from Syria. Um, it's wherever there's a plight in the world, they tend. I mean, I remember once there's a, 
a woman, she's clearly Egyptian, because I've been to Egypt, they dress in a very particular way, they have a particular accent, I'm Syrian. I said, you are not Syrian. And then in the Mina, they come and they say, I'm from Kashmir, I'm a Yatim from Kashmir. So my dad is like, you're 30 years old, you can't be Yatim anymore. An orphan is when they're immature. And it's from Kashmir. Everybody becomes Kashmiris because Kashmir has a plight and they're just tugging at the cords of your heart. So no, that's not the way they do it. So a lot of people, what they do, they go and they sit and then they start talking to somebody and they figure things out and then, they, mashallah, then they give those kind of people. There's a lot of people that come maybe once in their life for Hajj. They've just about made it, mashallah. Right? And these people don't persist in their asking for people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. Thereafter that, since this is all a discussion of wealth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about bad wealth. And one of the worst forms of wealth, giving and taking, is riba. So now the verse is from verse 274, it starts off, uh, after that, it starts off about riba and about interest. Okay? One of the most common questions I get asked, and there's this fatwa apparently that's going around, the first house is allowed on riba, said, I don't know who's given that fatwa. Like I personally do not know who's given that fatwa, it might be a European council, but exactly how they've given the fatwa, there's certain details I've heard about that or something like that. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about doing things by business. It's very easy, it seems, to increase your money through riba sometimes. You know, you find these high yield bonds and things like that. So what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, and what the Prophet said as well, is that it might seem huge. And I know a number of stories, people who really went in there big time. And then eventually, as the Prophet said, eventually it leads to qilla. Uh, it leads to essentially struggles. So one needs to avoid that. G- grow at a slow, pure, uh, st- uh, through pure stages. Slowly, slowly. Don't buy into the whole corporate world of, uh, you know, where they tell you how to do things by leverage and things like that. These things are not sustainable. And there's been crashes and there may be, you know, more crashes. May Allah protect us. May Allah allow us to do things correctly so that bubbles don't burst for us. Right? But otherwise the whole world goes into turmoil and how long can that be sustained for? It doesn't work. Allah, this is the verse where you must have heard 279. If you don't like, get rid of that interest or whatever, then hear the announcement of a war with Allah, from Allah and His Messenger. But you can always make tawbah. You'll get your capital back, but you can't take the interest. You can always take your capital back, you can't take the interest. If you do have money in interest-based or haram uh, portfolios, stock or whatever, you can take your original capital out. That doesn't become, you can take that out. You just can't take the other part. That part you take it out, give it to the poor. Right? If you can't give it back to the, those. Now, um, our time is pretty much up, but the next, which is the biggest verse in the Quran, the longest verse in the Quran, verse 282 is about, uh, it's all money matters here. These are, this is all money matters. So this is about debts, uh, loans, uh, when you owe somebody money. The encouragement is that make sure you write it down. And it's really interesting, the emotion human being, you know when you do so many transactions, it's, if you're like, oh, I'm going to remember this. You know, we'll just remember it. It's difficult to always write contracts with people. It's a bit complicated sometimes. It's a bit pretensive sometimes maybe as well. That, you know, let's write a contract. Don't you trust me, brother? I do trust you, but I don't trust the shaitan. And I don't trust my mind. And, you know, there's so many cases where you've remembered 
and then you've forgotten the exact amount. Sometimes people have paid back, but the other person can't remember. You remember, but you have no proof. So then you have to pay back, otherwise it's just a hard feeling. No, no, I paid you back. You didn't pay me back. And then you start doubting, did I pay back or no? No, I must have. It's money, man, I can't, you know, I must have paid back. It gets complicated. So record all of these things. The re- it's there, recording tells us how to take witnesses and so on. And then finally, the last part of this surah are these beautiful verses which are recommended uh, for us to read and ponder over. And that is basically about submission to Allah. Submission to Allah. Inshallah, I'm going to be covering this in one of my Quran reflections that takes place every day at 5 o'clock through Zamzam, uh, through Zamzam Academy channel. So I'm going to, because our time is up, but this is one of the most profound verses and it really, really helps us in gaining submission to see how the Sahaba did it and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then makes things easy right, for them. So that is where we end. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our month of Ramadan. May Allah make it better than any Ramadan before it. May Allah draw us close to Him and allow us not to be distanced from Him even after the month of Ramadan. Allow us to emerge from this month with taqwa, that this month has been, one of the purpose of this month is to gain taqwa. So Allah allow us to come out of this month with an amazing amount of taqwa until the next Ramadan and then to build on that. وَأَخِرُ الدَّعْوَانَا أَنِ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ uh, the point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration, an encouragement, persuasion. The next step is to actually start learning seriously, to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam, at least at their basic level, so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, and that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses, so that uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time, especially for example the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there, the Islamic Essentials certificate, which you take 20 short modules and at the end of that inshallah you will have gotten the, the basics of uh, most of the most important topics in Islam and you'll feel a lot more confident. You don't have to leave lectures behind, you can continue to leave, uh, you know, to listen to lectures, but you need to have this more sustained study as well. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.